I always like people to at least get some sort of information out of the uh, out of yeah. the podcast because I'm just a moron who just yaps my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's my whole that's right? all my stance. <laughs> this is the said no one ever podcast, a podcast about things you never knew you wanted to hear about. I'm your host, Martin Moore. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of the Said No One Ever podcast. This episode is called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and uh, I'm super jacked for uh, the guest that we have here. He's the culture editor at On Milwaukee, uh, a guy who knows a lot about movies and entertainment, uh, someone I've shared the mic with uh, on the radio before. He's a fun, smart, entertaining guy, and I'm just glad to have him here to talk about movies and entertainment and TV and just, and just all things content. Ladies and gentlemen... Matt Miller. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That also I, uh, made me sound much more professional than I, uh, I really I messed have. up your name and had to cut it out and then re-say it. It's a very silly story. Boy, the it's, silent U really gets you. It's the it's the German UE situation. Apparently, we may have had a sure. out in our name at some point. I don't sure. know. I've lived, I've lived with Mueller, Bueller. I've, I've lived with it all. Sure. So <laughs> you are far from the first. You will definitely uh, not be the I last. I apologize. Uh, why don't you tell everybody, tell the listeners a little bit kind of about uh, who you are, uh, where you come from, what you do. Yeah, so uh, born and raised in Milwaukee, Hills Corners, technically. Mm. Uh, we're born, living in Milwaukee now. Uh, I got into movies at a young age because I was a really cool kid who brought the newspaper into school in yes. first grade. Uh, now I write about movies, TV, pop culture in general for on Milwaukee.com. A little bit of sports as well. Ooh, so that's, yeah, that Bucks yeah. loss. Oof. We don't talk about the box loss. It's still, it's still. Soft. I will say this though: uh, what Giannis posted on, um, I think Twitter and Instagram was, it was pretty inspiring. Just you know, we'll be back, and you know, we're not done. And yeah, and I. Uh, uh, not to turn this into a sports podcast, yeah, right. but I do think like the Bucks are in a good place. Oh, for sure. Like I look around the league and I see a lot of teams that really want to win championships that don't know if they have the pieces to win a Absolutely. championship. Absolutely. The Sixers, the Lakers, yes. the Jazz, like a lot of teams are in bad positions. If you're the Bucks, you're like we've got we know we've got a, a big 3. Right. And I've we always, know they win championships. I've always said the Packers are one of those teams that you know has a chance at a Super Bowl every year. Mhm. But there's a chance that they're probably not going to make it. The Bucks, there's always a chance that they could get to the finals. Yeah, and I'm never, I never count them out the way I sort of count the Packers out. Yeah, and now they won too. I think last year I was more stressed watching the Bucks because oh, there was God, this right. feeling of like, right. if they don't win this year, is this team good? Like, right. is Giannis that good? Is Chris that good? Right. Is, are we going to have to blow this up? Like, is this as far as they can go? Right. And now we know as far as they can go is it can be done. doing a victory parade through downtown Milwaukee. Right, so I right. feel much better about the Bucks. Uh, you I know, know, I know. It still sucks. Uh, I'm yeah. going to Boston too this summer, and I'm I'm going to Boston for a Brewers game. I think we'll be in Boston at the same time. Dude. We're going to be Boston buddies. Yes, um, we're going for the uh, Friday you and Saturday game. You can defend me when I have all of Boston <laughs> trying to beat me up right, after right. I yelled at them about how Jason Tatum is the whiniest oh player in the God, NBA. Second only maybe to Grant Williams, but whatever. Oh, I hate them both. Well, anyways, uh, you know, I wanted to have you on this episode, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, to sort of talk about an industry that's been, in my opinion, completely revolutionized, shooken up. Uh, it's something we all consume, movies, streaming services, content. Um, so I kind of want to get into, you know, where we've been, mm -hmm. where we are, and where we're eventually going to end up when it comes to, to content, entertainment, and movies. 
Um, so let's just start off with, um, you know, where we've been. In your opinion, what, what was life like before Netflix? <laughs> before streaming services and on-demand oh, everything? It was, it was such a more innocent the time. The good old days. You know, I... Obviously, things were both more and less accessible. You sure. know, you had Blockbuster. You had, you know, the rental stores and things like that. When you wanted to see something, you had to see it in theaters, you know? Yep. And you had you had to wait until it came out on VHS oh, and that it took whole for, It took forever. And that was the good for them days. Because we forget, like, when a movie was out of theaters, it was out of theaters. Like, there was a long period of time before the VHS where it was like, hey, if you want to see this... It's theaters are bust. Like oh, for sure. And it used to be and TV, TV uh, when TV would right. pick up stuff and syndicate it, and it would be on TV and stuff like before, that. Before like Blockbuster and Hollywood Video and all those, you used to one, you have to wait forever for the movie to come out on VHS, and two, mm-hmm. I believe, and I may be wrong, and the listeners can Google this, but I believe you had to buy it direct from the film studios. Like and it was super expensive to to buy it and the they were really pissed when Blockbuster came out because now people could watch these movies that they had to normally buy for I don't know what it was forty nine ninety nine or yeah the VHS what we are seeing and not to jump ahead a little bit right now but yeah. what we are seeing is the studios reclaiming control over yes. their movies and TV shows which is great for them but it's bad for us <laughs> and I think that's what people aren't seeing with the streaming revolution is that this is not benefiting viewers no this really isn't because back in the days you could spend you know 30 20 dollars on a VHS and you'd have that movie forever and right? you could watch that movie forever or on DVD or on blu-ray and you'd have that movie forever well they're going away from that physical copy now and now if you want to watch Titanic a you mm. have to hope it's on a streaming service somewhere right. or you know I don't want to make it sound like oh the, the stuff's inaccessible but now you are behooven to the studios right now if you want to watch friends they're not gonna put that stuff on DVD and blu-ray as no, much anymore they want not. you to pay twenty dollars a month for their streaming service Mm -hmm. to watch it every day so uh, i i think streaming has given us this idea of like oh it's so convenient now and every everything's at the touch of my finger and a it's not and b it's not gonna get better (laughs) like it is only it is the disney vaultification of of media it's frustrating too because this is what we wanted this is what we asked for this was the future we all god i wish we could just cut the cord get rid of cable and just pick and choose i want hgtv and i want disney Mm -hmm. and Boy, did that backfire! Well, the the problem is, is that you know every every disturbance in the force, you know every every disturbance in the force, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So obviously, streaming changed the the content world in terms of you know TVs and movies. But now it's it's rebounding, and what you're seeing now is you know Netflix, the great disruptor. Mm. Well, now they're talking about bringing on an ad supported you know variation of it, and Disney's talking about an ad, yeah. <laughs> and you know they're all talking about you know an ad supported Disney Plus and stuff like that, and at you know every time this stuff comes around, people are like, so when is this all going to get bundled? Right. You know, when is a company going to come around and be like, what if we can bundle all these streaming? Disney's already basically doing a, a much smaller version of that with ESPN and Hulu and mm. Disney Plus with the Disney bundle. And yes. it's like this is this is what we have. This is what the streaming revolution was for. <laughs> Cable again? Like it no! was it's <laughs> it, it is frustrating. And I, I I think in the process, studios are making less money. Yes. And in the process, we're losing theaters. We're losing places where we would go to experience things together. And I think that is 
that's valuable. And oh, for I think sure. we're, we're appreciating comfort to a degree that we may lose a lot of the things we really like mm-hmm. and things that make things that make things special. I don't want us to end up like Wally people oh, and just I like know. isolated in our recliners. I always go back to that future. movie and I'm like, God. <laughs> is that is? Well, let's get into a couple uh, yeah. statistics about the about the film industry in general, because I think that's the that's one of the big ones that has been disrupted, especially one yeah. by Netflix. And then two, obviously, COVID, which we'll get into. Yeah, in a COVID, bit. Yeah. Um, in 2020, well, here, let's start this. Yeah, COVID um, was the sword of Damocles s- to the film right? industry. Uh, at the end of uh, 2019, uh, the film industry made about $11.32 billion in revenue. 2020... In fairness, that year was nuts. Yes. People forget that 2019 was like the big Disney free-for-all. Yes. Where Disney was like Avengers Endgame, Lion King. And wasn't 2018, the 18 or 17, the year where it hit like an all-time low as far as attendance and... It, uh, yeah, it's always hard to manage because uh, ticket sales and attendance are two different numbers. Okay, sure. Because obviously a ticket costs more. Sure. Like, uh, one person is a $10 ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So attendance numbers drop, but ticket sales kind of help make the numbers look better. Sure, sure. So in 2020, a year later, deep into COVID, very deep, uh, it dropped from uh, $11 billion to $2.09 billion. Yeah. Basically and, nothing. And they're very lucky that the year started off with a bunch of hits, honestly. Right? 2020, people forget how well that year started. You know, you had Bad Boys. You had Bad Boys for Life. Oh, God. Which made I, over $200 million. I still have never saw dollars. it. I still yeah. never saw it yet. Oh, really? It's good. Is it? It's a, it's a fun time. It, Bad Boys for Life made over $200 million. Wow. And that was, you know... That COVID probably cut out some of the legs on sure. that. It probably had another twenty million dollars in it. Honestly, Sonic the Hedgehog probably was going to make that more one money. Is huge. Yeah, that made a, almost one hundred and fifty. And this is all just domestic numbers. Mm-hmm. Worldwide, I think obviously those movies made even more money. Invisible Man was looking like a big. It's really good. Uh, the Invisible Man was looking like a little sleeper hit. It made sixty four million dollars in America before COVID hit. But that movie was building steam, and I think that probably would have been a one hundred million dollar. Grosser. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, you had Onward that came out right at the start of the pandemic. Yes. And I don't think that was going to be like a top 10 Pixar performing movie, but it's still a Pixar movie. It's still a kid's it's movie. It still is going to bring generate in revenue. people. Yeah. So. And then what about the big one? T E N E T. Oh, Tenet. God, that oh, one just. They sweet, delayed sweet it tenet. and delayed it and delayed it. And it just I have a little I have a little conspiracy theory about Tenet. Oh boy, we can get into that too. Yeah, my conspiracy theory on Tenet is that Warner Brothers didn't know what to do with that movie. Really? My secret, my my like little and I have no evidence of this. I have no proof as of this. As far as like the like people who go to the theater like comprehending the film. I think because it was a tough one to comprehend. It's a weird movie, and I think Christopher Nolan showed up with this original sci-fi movie. Boy, if you thought with, Interstellar was tough yeah. to figure out. <laughs> and with with no like huge names. like People forget like Inception was a risk, mm. and that's a movie starting Leo DiCaprio, and obviously that movie made a ton of money, but that was a huge question mark when yeah. it came out, because even 10 years ago, there was the talk of, like, can anything but sequels and remakes make right. money? Will people show up? And that question has only gotten louder and worse. So I think Chris Nolan showed up at Warner Brothers with that movie, and they were like, well, every movie we don't, he makes we don't is, know how to sell this. I know, right? And I wonder if they were like, we're fine putting this as the canary in the coal mine. Mm. Like, we're fine sacrificing this movie and seeing what it does. Sure. 
Because it's not, it's not, you know, Wonder Woman. It's right. not, you know, Deadpool 2, which isn't a Warner Brothers movie. But yeah. like, it's not th- entertainment it's, bait. It's not a franchise movie. Yeah. And if it does poorly, we don't have to like look and like explain to our stock guys, you know, oh, sorry. Well, it's not going to be a trilogy. <laughs> We're not going to be able to make t- 10 to it, yeah. you know? So I, I have a feeling they felt pretty comfortable using that movie as a trial <gasps> balloon. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's my that's my that's again. I have no like word on that. But, sure. And it's funny because you know everyone talked at the time like, oh man, bombed so hard. Yeah. No one saw Tenet. Well, Tenet made about sixty million dollars in America. A lot of movies would love to have those numbers right, right now. Right. I mean, I'll give you a list of movies that haven't hit sixty million dollars. Death on the Nile that came out that this ha- year. That hasn't hit it. Ambulance. Shut uh, up. Didn't hit. Uh, didn't even hit sixty million dollars. Moonfall. You know, it's a lot harder to mit- that, hit that number now than I think people realized. And we're not even talking global. I think global tenant made like three hundred, four hundred million dollars. So not okay. its budget back. But Tenet, in the grand scheme of things, was not this apocalyptic bomb. Like it, like everyone th- thinks that it was. It's legacy. It's a little bit going to be like I feel like our generation's Waterworld. Yeah. Where everyone thinks Waterworld was this massive bomb that sunk a company, and you know it didn't make a ton of money back. But it was not this like flagrant like oh my god. Well, right. It, it was, wasn't. Uh, what was that movie with James Franco that he played the. Uh, uh, the the dude who talks like the, uh, what the hell was that movie? <laughs> oh God, I, I've pushed all James Franco movies out of my head. But yeah, so just to make sure, the budget on Waterworld was 172 to 175 million dollars, and it's a lot back then, and it made about 265 million dollars. Okay. So again, it lost money. But the way people there have been far bigger bombs in recent right. years than Waterworld. Right. And I think Tenet has that legacy now where Tenet, everyone's like, oh, Tenet, the movie, <laughs> the movie that, that that COVID killed and stuff like that. Uh, cost two hundred million dollars to make, made three hundred sixty three million dollars. Uh, Ish. The, the the general rule, and this is Hollywood banking is indecipherable. But you take the budget, multiply it by two. Okay. And that is the true cost of the movie because okay. you have to include. They don't include like advertising, public, mm, you know, all that gotcha. stuff. So it realistically, probably need to make four hundred million dollars wow. to break even, and that's not including probably an extra bunch of money. Sure. For all of the d- delays and all of the changes in the marketing and all of that stuff. Sure. So it. It definitely didn't make money. I mean, I remember there was something with No Time to Die where they were like, we need to make, I think, $700, $800 million to break even. And that's part of the problem in Hollywood right now a little mm-hmm. bit is like, listen, if you're making movies that need need to make a billion dollars right. to break even, it's you have a broken system. Yeah, it, well, like, I mean, that's a whole-ass <laughs> company. Like, that's yeah. the revenue of like a company. That is a country's <laughs> GDP yes, we're talking exactly. about here. Of, like you, Trinidad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think some of the Pirates movies were that to that oh degree eventually. God. And, you know, I, I you're not going to make that back no. at, in a lot of cases. And especially when there's a lot of talk this particular summer about how there's not a lot of big, big blockbustery movies really coming out. There's sure. kind of one every three weeks basically we had dr strange 2 to start the year and then we had uh we're gonna have top gun and we've got you know finally i believe it when i see it yeah that's a real like mirage of a movie (laughs) right right now uh thor you know you've got some big movies in there but it's not the every week and this was inevitable Mm -hmm. because you can't release a movie that needs to make 500 million dollars to a billion dollars to break even 
in this market right now where, you know, are people going to a movie every weekend? Not me. I can no, tell you that much. most of Americans aren't. I think the the number is like the average American sees a movie a year in yeah. theaters. So how can you excuse putting out every week the next biggest thing in the world? The next right. biggest thing in the world. In some cases, two of the next biggest thing right. in the world in the same weekend. It's just not. It's just not responsible. There's 12 months in the year. Why would you cram them I know. all now? Right. Well, let's let's switch um, off of movies. Yeah, sorry, I got. Oh no, totally fine. <laughs> to something that I, I'm finding really, really fascinating, and I, I want to get your take on it. And I don't know, are you a Star Wars fan at all? I am. Okay. Uh, so this week, this Friday, the new Obi Wan Kenobi six part TV series yes. pops up on yeah. um, Disney Plus. Yeah. Features Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen, the original Obi-Wan, and Anakin Darth Vader. Just like Darth we all Vader. asked for, more yes. Hayden Christensen. <laughs> and, I mean, it looks, from the trailers, which means nothing, but, I mean, it looks it looks spectacular. It looks yeah. like something that should have been released in a, in a theater. And maybe five years was, ago, this would be released in a theater. It was planned for theaters. I mean, there was always rumors that Star Wars was planning an Obi-Wan movie, uh, and it just... I think they found the place for it now. What is, you know, what's your take on these these streaming services creating IP and, and content that is just it's not in the theaters anymore. It's it's just strictly on their streaming service because I mean this is this is huge. This is not some no name no. actors. This is not a no name side story. This isn't Boba Fett or The Mandalorian. I mean this is these are big actors, Central big character. story, yeah. and they're like, you know what we should do. Let's put it on our streaming service. Is that something you think is going to become more ubiquitous, or is this sort of like a, a one-off thing? I or? think Disney's a hard case because Disney's going. Boy, that was a long question. They're they're going in hard. Disney is on streaming. They have basically turned Pixar into a streaming company, yes. which is very stupid in my opinion, and is not making them money, uh, or is at least losing them money. Yeah, because. Turning Red would have made a ton of money in theaters. Even if it's not the most loved Pixar movie of all time, there was a need for a kid's movie in theaters. Yeah. There was not a children's movie in theaters between Christmas, uh, our newly released one, and it, between Christmas and I think March slash April. Oh, wow. There was room in there, or at least not a notable one. I'm sure there was like some one, yeah. some animated one made for like $10 million <laughs> that no one cared about or saw. <laughs> But Is that your official uh, Rotten Tomatoes review? That's my official Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> review. But that movie would have made tons of money. And what ended up happening was when Sonic the Hedgehog 2 came out, it had this record-breaking, great opening weekend. I think it made like $72 million on its opening weekend because it was the first kids-oriented movie to come out in months. Sure. And Turning Red could have been that. And what people don't know about streaming is that streaming doesn't make money. Yeah. You And not only does it not make money, it takes away other revenues of making money. Mm -hmm. So normally when you release a movie in theaters, you make the money in theaters. And then you can make the money in those secondary, uh, like selling the rights to TV and airplanes and selling DVDs. And then selling, hopefully, to, you know, more TV stations and, you know, syndicating it that way. And you make all this money in various, various ways. And when you put something on streaming, you lose all all of those ways of making money. Mm. You are exclusively a streaming product. And oh. what Hollywood never talks about is that when it's on streaming, it's extremely easy to pirate. Really? Oh, yeah. Torrents everywhere? Oh, yeah. So 
sure, it's everywhere. And yeah, oh, the streaming views are through the roof. You know, oh gosh, our subscribers are up. But you're not making money off of that. Yeah. And I think one of the big questions audiences are going to af- ask themselves as streaming becomes bigger and bigger is you're not going to be able to get big budget things on streaming forever. Mm-mm. You can't spend 200 to 300 no. million dollars on something that isn't going to make money except through subscriber. The kind of money that Netflix and Apple and Disney and a lot of these others are spending on their content Insane is shocking. Money. And Apple can because Apple's is a <laughs> And Apple has so many other outlets of making money. Right. Like, oh, if we lose some money on the movie side of things, this was Amazon's approach yeah. for a long time. If we but lose they're, money, but they're selling you a two thousand dollar MacBook to watch Coda. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like a thousand dollar iPhone to watch. That's Apple's whole, uh, Amazon's old whole strategy. It's exactly. like we want. We have a streaming service in the hopes that you will use Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like exactly. we, we are, and which is, I mean, that's a whole other conversation of should people who are uninterested in making movies and telling stories and aren't be in charge of these things? Right. But that's a that's a broader topic. But Disney's an odd case. I want to get back to this because Disney really wants Disney Plus to blow up, and they know if they they have the smallest uh, catalog yeah. of all the streamers. It's, it's not if you don't like. The old school movies and Pixar movies, boy, there's the slim pickings, baby. If you don't have kids, kind of period, you like, got to be a big Star Wars fan or a big Marvel fan. That's and even, it. And even then, there's a limited amount of that exactly to have. And at some point, what I imagine is going to happen is that they are going to integrate Hulu into Disney Plus. I, I like that. I think <clears throat> that's that's a smart idea. They're going to integrate Hulu into Disney+. Plus. It's already overseas. Hulu does not exist, I believe, in most other oh, wow. countries. I'm quite positive it is called, like, Star Plus. <laughs> and that, that, that's within Disney+. Plus. Sure. If I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure on that. Um, but Hulu is mainly an American product, and Disney owns all that at this point. And I think part of that is because Hulu was created by lots of studios, and now Disney has full control, but now all these other studios have their own streaming services in general now. Yeah. So as they take more and more of their content back, Hulu will become more and more 20th Century Fox material, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. And they're going to integrate that into Disney Plus because what better way to boost Disney Plus's catalog than by being like, yep, Hulu's on here now. Yeah. And they need to do that because right now Disney Plus is like, the kids slash nostalgia and they don't really have enough they have one big thing each month pretty much and in the streaming game that's not enough Mm -mm. not when you rip through ozark in a weekend yeah that's why (laughs) i mean that's why they turned pixar basically into a disney plus studio yeah is because they they can't build subscribers off of cheaper by the dozen yeah and mary poppins <laughs> and and you know better nate than ever yeah and a whole all beethoven second <laughs> yeah re, go through the list of disney plus original movie titles right. it's a lot of stuff you have never heard of yeah so they need stuff like soul like turning red mm. to be like look look you need to subscribe to you need to stay subscribed to disney plus mm-hmm. what is the end game here at some point, you will reach a ceiling of subscribers. That's what Netflix is kind of running into yeah, right they now. They lost, I think, 200,000 subscribers last quarter. And they expect And they to. freaked out. And Their part of that is because of Russia. They will tell you that part yeah. of that is because of what happened, what's going on overseas there. But they expect to lose even more. Yeah. And it's quite possible they found the roof, the ceiling of their subscriber amount. 
in their current form. And when your entire value, when you don't make money, when mm-hmm. you're like Netflix and you are in the red every year because you spend so much on content and you're, you're basically your worth is the stock market, is yeah. Wall Street. Like Netflix has barely ever made money. Yeah. But they are seen as a good stock, a good bet. Because the stock market believes in just like, ah, oh, growth, growth forever. Growth, mm-hmm. growth. Well, now they've stopped growing. Yes. And it's a, a lot of that is irrational Wall Street. Wall Street being like, okay, clearly these numbers from COVID will continue forever, right? Right. And it's like, no, you had a <laughs> literally hostage audience. Yeah. So, of course, people subscribed and watched Netflix to beyond crazy amounts. Right. And at some point, you're going to run out of people, or you're going to run there's out. There's only a finite amount of people on planet Earth. And again, unless you can get animals to watch. And again, if you reach that finite number of subscribers, you are reaching a finite amount of money you are making mm-hmm. every month. Well, I think that's why we're seeing Netflix cracking down on password sharing. That's and why you're seeing that. I'm that's not saying I share my password, <laughs> but I might. I might say I've been logged out quite a few times. Listen, my anyone account. who's not sharing their Netflix password is a loser, is a liar. Um, but I. Yeah, that's why you're seeing them be like, oh, we got to crack down on password stuff. Which, guess what? When you crack down on password stuff, people are just not going to subscribe to Netflix exactly, anymore. Exactly, exactly. Especially because a lot of Netflix's original content is not that good. No. 90% of what they release is bad. And most people know it at this point. There's yeah. a real vibe of a Netflix original is code for direct-to-video. Yeah. You saw they, that? It not, didn't always used to be like that. Orange is the New Black. And, I mean, they had a lot of really good IP in the beginning. Yeah, they tried. I mean, House of Cards House was of a Cards. big hit for them in the early days. But they just they knew that other companies were going to start creating their own streaming services. Yeah. And when they would do that, they would take back their stuff. Yeah. So they needed to start building up a catalog and fast. Of everything. Of They have cooking stuff. They have car stuff. They have personal questions. Do you watch Love is Blind and the Ultimatum? Oh, my God. I do not watch The Ultimatum. The Ultimatum oh. is, a, is a bridge too far for oh, me. But bl- Love is Blind what a is treat. remarkable What trash. a treat. I'm telling you, man, The Ultimatum is... <laughs> I don't know if I can... It I, is... It, if you th- it makes Love is Blind look like that's how normal people just date. That's how <laughs> effed up The Ultimatum is. I think that that's too far for me, though. Because with The Ultimatum, you just want to watch that and you're just like, well, this is just a very bad idea for all these people. Why did you sign up for this? You should all go date each other and see what happens. Whereas, like, Love is Blind feels like... Let me tell you what happens. Uh, (laughs) None of the couples make it because they're all banging each other. (laughs) Who could have seen? Who could have seen it coming? I want to to kind of um, talk about, because I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it, COVID and how it changed the way, you know, we experience movies and how... Movies are distri- distributed, 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 yeah. and we have access to them. Um, and I want to start off with The Matrix 4 because that got pushed right to HBO Max. And that was shocking when you know when that happened. And I remember HBO saying they're going to start releasing all of their movies day of on their on their platform. You know, in, in your opinion, how, how, how has COVID changed um, the, the movie industry, in your, in your opinion, forever? And as far as how companies are going to distribute their movies and how we're going to get access to, to movies. I think there there's a lot of still trying to figure that out right now. H, uh, Warner Brothers, the the ones who put, you know, Matrix oh, yeah, Warner 4, Brothers, I'm sorry, yeah, Warner no, Brothers. But they put it on HBO Max, which is secretly the best of all the streaming yeah, services. Yeah, I like it. It's got the best catalog and it has the best, generally the best interface, which in fairness is the easiest a, competition a possible. Lo, a low bar. <laughs> Honestly, I uh, but... 
HBO put all of their releases onto HBO Max and in theaters simultaneously last year. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge game changer. But what HBO saw was people, they they didn't quite see the results that they wanted to from that. You know, the theatrical numbers weren't great for a lot of their stuff. And I don't think, I mean, I'm sure they got a bump in terms of subscribers, but was it enough to outweigh the costs of not getting this stuff in theaters and not getting that secondary revenue? The biggest change and the biggest kind of alteration that is happening is streaming and theaters trying to figure out how they can coexist. Yes. Because in the this was always going to happen. This was the sword of Damocles hanging above the theatrical industry forever mm. was, you know, with the internet and with all these new outlets at some point. We're going to have to figure... I mean, they had tried it years before. I remember... Do you remember Tower Heist? Yes. Very forgotten movie, generally. But it was very memorable because I believe it was Sony, or it was either Sony or Universal. They wanted to release that movie simultaneously, I think, on like iTunes or onto cable, onto VOD services. And it would cost like $50. To, to rent it sensibly. And that got, you know, panned at the time and pushed down. And, you know, that is our new reality. I know, right? It was definitely the reality dur- during COVID. Yeah. When, you know, theaters and, you know, they wanted to put stuff into theaters while at the same time, you know, make more money off of it. So why not give other outlets? The, the big question is there used to be a window, a very solid window between wide releases and theatrical release, uh, theatrical releases, and at home, and I believe it used to be ninety days. It used to be three months yes. between when the movie comes out in theaters and when the movie can be available on VOD and the Apple Store, yeah. you know, on streaming. And Boy, obviously, that always was such a long time. And that cra- like COVID immediately murdered that. Yeah. You know, I remember Trolls World Tour was the huge one, being like, we're bailing, we're, we're going to go on VOD right away. And at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of stuff like uh, The Invisible Man and Onward pretty quickly jumped onto digital platforms. Very fast. And no one was going to blame them for it at the time because it's like theaters were closed. No one wanted to go to theaters. Right, So. Right. Yeah, makes sense, whatever. But now that window has shrunk from 90 days, and they're trying to figure out what is the right amount of time for that window. In some cases, I believe Universal has a deal with movie studios and theaters that it is two weeks for anything that makes under, I believe, $50 million opening weekend. Okay. So when a, when a movie gets released... And if it bombs, if it falls through the floor, two weeks later they can put it onto Apple and put it onto, you know, wherever you're digitally purchasing things. And now they're still trying to figure out where these things can go and how long can you put something in theater, how much money can you make in theaters and get all the juice out of that squeeze before you put it onto digital. And they're still figuring that out. What we saw with Quiet Place Part 2 last Mm. year is that that was exclusively in theaters for, I believe, about 30 to 45 days. And when it hit that 45-day mark, it went to Paramount Plus, which yes. was the studio, the, the distributor behind that movie. That movie did great in theaters, and it made pretty much everything I think it was going to make in theaters in terms of big numbers. But even when it was on Paramount Plus, it still had decent performance in theaters. Yeah. It was still dropping as it should by that time. The Batman tried that out Earl also this year. Oh, this I is like Warner Brothers. Movie. You like that? I did not like oh, that movie. Oh boy. I mean it's a lot it's a lot of movie. It's a lot of it movie. It was one of the most lethargic 
movies. I've, I, I mean, he's it wearing just, a full bat suit with combat boots. It's not gonna be fast. It just <laughs> dragged. Uh, I still haven't finished it. Oh, I've been chipping away at it ten minutes at a time. Would you finish it if you watched it in theaters? Yeah, I'd have to. This is because I'd have popcorn I, I have, and alcohol. Yeah, I have detoured now, but this is a big issue. When you put something on streaming, what you are saying is, we don't believe audiences will commit to this. Yeah. And that's very disappointing because when you put something in theaters, you are saying you are saying with confidence, we think people will commit to this. We think people will commit money to this, mm-hmm. to pay for a ticket. We think people will commit time. Mm. We think they will commit their effort mm. to you know meet the film halfway. Because we, you watch a movie better in theaters. Oh, absolutely. When you're at home, you're staring at your cell phone. Yeah. You know, you get it's distracted. Not the same you pause the movie. You make a snack. And I'm not going to pretend the theatrical experience is perfect. I've yeah. dealt with enough loud talkers and cell phone users in theaters to know it is not, you know, this glistening ideal. Right. But it's better. You care more when you're in a theater. Oh, absolutely. You have made a commitment to the movie. And you just don't have the same commitment when you're at home. So when we put stuff on streaming, you're basically saying, like, we don't think you're going to pay money for this. (laughs) And what's weird now is to go back all the way to your Obi-Wan conversation. Just this month, Hulu, which is owned by Disney now, Hulu announced that they're making a new Predator movie. They released the trailer for the new Predator film called Prey, because clever. It better be old school Predator. I don't want this new stuff where aliens are in it. uh, It takes, I think it's like possibly wordless because i think it's like two native american people trying to survive a predator like hundreds of years ago okay it could be very cool and it looks very cool but it is going to only be on hulu okay and that that even that we're not sure on that they might get make it accessible to theaters as well um and i can get back to that in a second but if if a movie if a predator franchise movie is apparently not a big enough sell that right? the studio doesn't think that they can make money in theaters on it. That's not good. That's not good. And I think a lot of this is just Disney really going hard on streaming. Yeah, I and agree. Disney I being agree. like, we we are all in on streaming. This is this is we want to bump up these numbers. We see Netflix is struggling. We could be the new king of the hill. Do you think that Disney, especially Disney, because I mean some of the IP that they have is huge. Do you think it would be an interesting uh, concept to maybe release one of these smaller... I guess what I'm getting at is, would people pay money to go see this Obi-Wan Kenobi series? Okay, sure, it's four or five hours long, but throw it in the theaters and see what happens for a weekend. Make an event out of it. You, you are seeing... It'd be an interesting... Yeah, we're, we're in a really exploratory phase right now with theatrical stuff in general. Live concerts are still a huge, right? big thing. Um, I believe BTS had a live-streamed concert, essentially, uh, that made, like, top 10 box office-worthy money <sighs> in one night. And it was... It was a hit. You're seeing a lot more anime movies in mm. theaters, and anime movies that you know make a decent amount of their money back. You're seeing more boxing events in theaters, and you know they're they're trying really. You're seeing more like special edition, like Doctor Who did an episode, yes. and that was even pre-COVID and stuff like that. So you're just seeing a lot more exploration there. I mean, I never thought I would see Netflix movies in right. theaters. And that's a regular side now. Even at Marcus, which you know was very much virulently like we're not going to do. Marcus Theaters is our local chain here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, the Midwest. 
uh, I believe AMC is still pretty staunch, no Netflix. But I mean, I saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and uh, Army of uh, Army of the Dead in theaters. Yeah. Uh, because Netflix does do a little theatrical. They don't report anything back, and they don't advertise when they're in theatrical. Yeah. Um, but you are seeing a little bit more leniency toward okay, if it's day and date, we'll do this. I mean, Firestarter just came out, I believe, last weekend. You haven't. No one watched it. <laughs> Movie was made to die. Um, and that was released on Peacock and in theaters at the same time. And we should have done shots every time we name a different streaming service honestly, during this episode. Oh my god, we would be dead right now. We would have alcohol poisoning and would be dead. You on just this mentioned table. Peacock. I was like, God, I forgot about that one. You, god, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's infuriating. I find out about streaming services every day. Right. Uh, uh, but I, I mean, you saw last year too. Like Halloween Kills was yes. put uh, in theaters and on Peacock of the same day. And it still made a decent amount of money. It made a really strong amount of money, frankly. And I think that's a funky one because I don't think a lot of people have Peacock. I don't think that is a a streaming service. Worth uh, entertaining. What do you think during COVID, what do you think movie theaters failed to do? Because... When I when I was watching um, everything go down and watching you know the movie the uh, movie companies and stuff like that um, like canceling and pausing their movies, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, are they going to show old movies? Maybe reopen up. I mean, they have these huge facades in the front buildings. Redo uh, outdoor movies. Yeah. Bring in sports game. Like, I felt like they just did nothing. They just stood back and said, well, I guess we'll just wait it out. Yeah, there what? was a, there was a lack of creativity, I would say, in a lot of cases. They do, you could get drive up popcorn. You could get drive up popcorn, <laughs> but I I do think you know the drive in movie opinion. theater stuff. I know the Marcus Majestic in Brookfield, Wisconsin. They mm-hmm. did a pop up drive in movie theater that I think did pretty well. Yeah. Um, I I'd be interested to talk to them about you know what the numbers were on that exactly, but you know when I went there were people there and yeah. I'm sure numbers dwindled as uh, you just did, they were a little rigid yeah. you know you wanted to see them do a little bit more creative stuff and I think they it was as- their opportunity to experiment without m- much consequence because th- they had already got the consequences people yeah. weren't going so. They did nothing. I saw them try nothing, and it's like, what do you? What have you set yourself up for the next time this happens? Yeah, and I think they've learned over the last few years. Like you know, events can do stuff. Yeah. You know, if you if you really uh, book interesting films with like thought thought behind it and make it feel important, because they would get people to show up still for like Back to the Future. Yes, and, absolutely. Like, and I I think if you get the I right, saw Back to the Future. Yeah, I think. I think they kind of took Ghostbusters for, I saw oh yeah 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 I think a lot of people took for a lot of movie theaters maybe took for granted like as soon as we open back up people will march in here and, uh. and love to come back to the movies and between the COVID situation and between the streaming situation I don't think that quite happened exactly no. how they thought no 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 but they've they've learned to adapt you know they've learned that you know listen we can make we, people will show up for movies that are even on streaming. Yeah. Whether because they're goofballs like me who prefer watching in theaters to streaming or people who don't have the streaming services or just don't know any better. Yeah. Like, and, I mean, that's a big thing, honestly. Like, why not put this stuff? Because there's a lot of people who just don't know where to find this stuff anymore. Right. And theaters are we, – it's all been decentralized. Mm. And I think that's why you're, you're – it's really hard to get buzz around something right now because there's so much all the time across 45 million channels. And it's just being pumped 
through you, through social media, through ads, through everything. Yeah, I mean, we. I was talking with someone on Twitter the other day. Uh, I, uh, shout out to Bill Brasky on Twitter. He's a good follow about these kind of you know Hollywood economic stuff. And if anyone does want more of this, Scott Mendelson at Forbes is the expert. Okay. On, like follow him on Twitter. He's got great, accurate, level-headed takes about the industry. He's very good at this. Um, but I. <laughs> forgot what I was <laughs> Don't you hate that? Don't you hate that? Okay. A couple questions here. What streaming service has surprised you the most as far, whether it's it's content or... Oh, I remember what I was going to say. No, oh, sorry. sure, sure. Uh, I was just talking with Bill Brasky on Twitter about everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Which is the gem of this movie year right now. Yeah. Small, smallish. Like, I bet you the budget's around $20, 30000000 million. So big for an indie movie. Um, but... That movie has made almost $50 million at this point wow. and is on pace to become A24's highest, uh, the studio's highest grossing movie in its history. And it's doing this in the midst of time when we're like, do people go to theaters for original movies? And the question we were kind of talking about was, if this movie was on streaming, would people be talking about it? Would it have been a one? Ooh. Would it have been a topic for a week and just utterly faded out of existence, uh, a la anything on Netflix? Yeah. Uh, or would this be like a Squid Game thing, where you know there were like months of you know excitement and stuff like that, and people talking about oh this exciting thing? Or would it have not even made a blip? Period. Yeah. Would it have just been lost because it's a weird movie, and. I, it is. That's kind of the great question now of where is the best place for all of this stuff? And it's disappointing that increasingly the answer is only big franchise stuff is for theaters and anything else is streaming. Right. And I think that's very disappointing. It's very limiting of our idea of what qualifies as big. What quali- What is worth our effort, oh, our absolutely. focus? But look at Coda. I mean, that yeah. one picture of the year... I, would it, that would have that? It have the I mean, it was good. Mark. It's a nice film, but and that is as far. As I mean, would, would it have even gotten any attention or fanfare if it was in the theaters? Would it have just been out for it a week? Didn't get and, any fan attention or fanfare. Period. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even hear about it until you know the month leading up to the Academy Awards. Yeah, and, I was like, and that's that's a problem. Would Coda have maybe been more of a thing? Would it, there been? Would have there been more of a groundswell for that movie? Right. If it hadn't had a requisite kind of two, three week run in theaters right. and then disappeared on Apple TV Plus, <laughs> which is probably one of the less subscribed to streaming services. Sure. Not one, not the worst, but definitely one of the so less which, subscribed. Which is to. one, back to my uh, question a couple minutes ago, which streaming services surprised you the most? In terms of... Not not aside from Netflix. Yeah. Um, because I feel like all the other ones are kind of just still blown up. Like, which one is have, have you either gotten or you 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 talked a lot of shit about? We're <laughs> like, oh my god! Like, I thought Apple TV Plus when it came out, morning show. I was like, well, who's gonna watch this? And I was like, ooh, morning. Sh- Boy, that's a great show. Apple Apple TV Plus has done a good job of kind of taking the HBO route. Yeah. Or at least the former HBO route, where it's like we're not gonna make a ton of stuff. Yeah. 
But generally speaking, we're going to put our money, like, we're going to put a lot of effort into the stuff we make. I watch a lot of content on Apple TV. Yeah, I think that one's turned out pretty well. I think HBO Max, I, I said this before, it's the best streaming service out there. I agree. It has the largest catalog, undoubtedly. Righteous Gemstones, do you watch it? I do not. Oh, I, I will say, I'm really bad at watching Treat yourself. <laughs> treat yourself. Do you know what it's about? Yeah. Uh, the, mega, like the, mega like, church. Yeah, mega the church crime pastors. underworld of televangelists. Oh, my gosh. Buckle up. <laughs> it is so funny. Danny McBride and Walter Goggins are hilarious in it. I cannot, rec- I cannot recommend it enough. Walton Oh, did you watch, did you ever watch Vice Principals? No, I'm oh. me and Jody Hill are like the Jody Hill I think is the creator of those shows. Yeah, uh, me and him have like a, a touch touchy relationship okay. when it comes to what he finds funny and what I find funny. There's just so there's so much goddamn TV. Am I allowed to swear on here? Is um, goddamn allowed? <laughs> you have to get rid of uh, one streaming service today. Which one goes? That you have. Or how many do you subscribe to first? I subscribe to just about all of them. Okay. And a lot, a lot of that is like work mandated because my job kind of requires me okay. to have kind of all of them at my fingertips. You got to get, you got to sign out and cancel one. I really don't one. use Amazon much at all. I don't know that I've ever watched anything on yeah. Amazon Prime. And I think they have a, de- part of the reason why I might get rid of Amazon is because it has the worst user interface. It's terrible. It is an awful it, user interface. I feel like. It's like a college student who just got like into UX UI design, and they're like, like year one, semester one, we need you to yeah. make a TV streaming app, and then they made Amazon. Well, Prime. Like we've talked, <laughs> like we've talked about, like Amazon's not in it to you know get people watching. No, they're in the business to get people to buy from Amazon Prime. So, right. and you kind of get that on there where it's like it's a lot of like links out to other places yes. that you don't want. Yes. Um, Honestly, if there's one I get rid of, truthful beyond just like the interface problem that Amazon has, and I would, I bet you their library isn't bad. I don't use Peacock a lot. No, I don't either. But Peacock has more live sports than a lot of these streaming services. Mm-hmm. I think what we're going to possibly see a lot more of is even more drops for Netflix in yeah, terms of subscribers. I agree. Because of a lot of the things we've talked about, you know, their library is increasingly shrinking of comfort food watch. Mm. And if you think about what made the, the house that Netflix built, it was not, the foundation was not House of Cards. Yeah. And it was not Orange is the New Black. The foundation was Breaking Bad. Yes. Was The Office, was Friends, was Parks and Rec. If you actually looked at the viewership numbers for Netflix, most of the hours spent on Netflix were spent on basically syndicated shows. Yep. And you know 100%. what? Friends. All the, comfort view. Like the stuff where you put it on in the background and you kind of half watch it. Yeah. And I mean, me and my fiance are watching New Girl right now. That's oh, not a Netflix original. Right. But that's what we're using Netflix for right now. But as they get rid of that stuff and the... the and as you know, Peacock took back The Office. Mm-hmm. And you know, all these streaming services took back, all these studios took back their and stuff. you're left with... And you're Restaurants left with, on the edge, and yeah, and which you're is a good with, show. You're left with question marks. <laughs> exactly. And when people sit down in front of their couch, what we find more and more is that they don't want to explore. No. They want to watch stuff that they already know that they like. I always there was a, I remember watching SNL once. Uh, this is a little while ago, seven or eight years ago, when um, Netflix was sort of like way on its trajectory up. Yeah. And they were talking about this um, service. It was like two ninety nine a month. 
where you could pay to just browse into the Netflix library. You couldn't watch anything, <laughs> but you could just kind of browse through it. I and I was like, God, that, that I do that SNL awful. Is that an SNL sketch? It, I feel like it was. I think I've watched that one. It's and very accurate And I was like, boy, I feel like that's super accurate because I spent a lot of time going through my, my queue and never actually watching anything. Yeah, and they do have some good stuff on there, but if your selling point is Netflix Originals, which growingly it has to be for yeah. Netflix, the Netflix Originals brand is not good. Yeah. Most and they kind of did that sub, and I think the studios kind of very smartly during the early pandemic, they sold a lot of stuff they knew was it were risky movies and TV shows. Yep. They threw them over to Netflix yep. for money. Uh, what was the the, the Lovebirds, the Camille oh, Nanjiani yeah. Sarai movie? Yes. I think that studio was like, this probably isn't going to make a ton in theaters. Like, no Let's one's put really it on Netflix. Like, what is the point of delaying this? We can make like a quick money now and sell it to Netflix. And you know what? That movie was bad, and that movie was forgotten by Netflix. And it deserved in, to be. <laughs> it, it it did not exist. Yeah. And I, there's a lot of people who you know they've watched Netflix originals and they're like, oh, there's nothing here. Like yeah. this, Red Notice is one of the most watched movies in Netflix's history, really? according to their metrics. No one could tell you anything about Red Notice. I've never seen it. I've never heard it of it. It is a tremendously there movie in really? that it is on the screen in front of you, and that is all it's doing. I'm going to be curious what happens with Netflix now that Ozark is done. I mean, that was like one of their Stranger last. Stranger Things is going to be done yeah. too. I mean, they're, we're recording they're, in May. They're Next need week, some it's out. New big IP. And they kill off stuff fast. That is yes. also a growing problem with Netflix. A lot of their shows they give maybe a year or two unless they've proven their worth immediately. Right. And it's really hard to build a fan base on that. Yeah. And more and more people are feeling burnt by mm. Netflix originals, yes. whether in terms of quality or in terms of getting cut short. And as a result, I think people just don't feel as loyal to Netflix no. as they I know once I don't. were. I know I don't. Yeah, and I, I can, think I unless they, them. I know there's a lot of talk about them getting into gaming, that they, you know, they're they're gonna. I think live sports will be the next big one too. Yeah, and again, that's why maybe I would keep Peacock because uh, honestly, I don't keep Peacock for the Peacock originals right. or just so I can say Peacock a lot. I <laughs> Peacock, have, Peacock, Peacock, like it's Beatles, just, Beetlejuice is gonna pop up behind us. Yeah, the, the <laughs> Petey the Peacock is yes. just gonna pop up. Um, it's Candyman <laughs> style, but. Uh, what I use Peacock most is I'm a Premiership Soccer fan, and they oh. stream Premiership. So you're you're gonna see more. I mean, the NFL and so Amazon like are kind of. I have not watched Ted Lasso How yet. Dare you come on this it's, episode? It's my next. It's my next watch. We're <laughs> gonna get through so New Girl, good. and we're gonna go to Ted Lasso, <laughs> or that or Severance. Again, Apple TV Plus. The buzz, the buzzy stuff is on Apple TV Plus, and I think. I, sorry, this conversation's been wild all over the place, and you had questions, and I answer about 15 of them and none of them at the same time. This would probably be your least well-reviewed episode. No, this is fun. But I, I think another thing, we talked about Netflix, oh, revolutionary, ads is their next big step, oh, God. password cutting down. You know, The other thing people have talked about is, is the binge model going to die with Netflix? Right. Because look what happens to a lot of Netflix shows. They have one big weekend where everyone mm -hmm. binges through the show and talks about it and debates it and all that. And then it kind of dies off. Yes. Unless it's something like a Squid Game, which truly, like, or a Tiger King situation where it's like... God, that was a treat. Boy, what a COVID treat. Uh, we needed Tiger King oh, at the time. But that was true. That, that was like... I, I feel like Tiger King is something we never want to revisit again. No. Which we saw happen when they Very did the Very special sequel. memories during COVID of 
Yeah, because I think everyone like looked back at Tiger King like a like a like a regretful one night stands <laughs> right. where like we looked. Why back did and I, we I were, feel like, so dirty after I right? watched it? Like, it was like, I don't but I also felt was, very satisfied. And <laughs> it's like I don't think this is actually good. <laughs> like this was probably a mistake. Right. And then Tiger King two came out and we were all like, yeah, it was a mistake. Yeah. We shouldn't have done it. Right. Um, but. You know, these shows exist for a weekend and then fall off, Mm -hmm. off of the conversation. And they can tell us all the numbers and the metrics they want. But who's really talking about Ozark yet? Yeah. Who's really talking about Bridgerton right now? Right. Who's going to talk about Stranger Things after its opening weekend? Mm -hmm. What you see is, look what happens to to Secession on HBO. Oh, God. I'm still in the middle of that show. No spoilers. Yeah. No, no, don't worry. Don't worry. But that is a weekly release. Yes. And so that show started off pretty modestly, but week by week built an audience and built people talking about it and built anticipation. Ted Lasso, same yeah, thing. Same thing. Severance, same thing. Mandalorian. Week, Mandalorian. Week by week, people watched and the build, the buzz built. And you got natural advertisements from people writing uh, recaps each it's week. It's shocking Netflix doesn't, that's not their mantra they, or their ethos, you that's know? That's the binge thing. And they want... There's a famous quote from Netflix where they said their biggest competition isn't other TV or other streamers, it's sleep. (laughs) Which is increasingly the arrogance of Netflix, kind of. I do like that. We get to smirk at that now because it's like, oh, how's that going for you, Netflix? But they just want hours in front of the screen. But the problem is, is it just those? Is it just an explosion of hours? Right. And then nothing? Nothing, right. Or are you sustaining? Are you building interest over time? Exactly. I think they've tried out a little bit more weekly release stuff with their reality shows, uh, with stuff like Selling Sunsets and I believe The Circle. Like yes. Stuff like that. They release three, four episodes a week. And I, th- I wonder if you're going to see them experiment a little bit more with that and try to get people talking about their shows for longer than a weekend. Yeah. Because at this point, again, like Stranger Things comes out next week, and that would be May twenty seventh, I believe. And you'll and you'll wake you'll wake up on like Saturday morning, uh, and And someone someone will have already watched it, and like what the heck? Yeah, by by (laughs) June fifth, no one will be talking about Stranger Things anymore because everyone will have squeezed that (laughs) squeezed that fruit out for all of its juice already, and they'll have moved on. And. That's that's I mean the it's beauty of sad. Yeah, and it it is kind of sad because it's th- almost like TikTok. It, it's this like content that is just there for a couple days or a week, and then it's just forgotten about. And Everything is ephemeral. Yes, which is frustrating. It really is. And that's why when you have something like throwaway content, ev- exactly. And I think you know that's. It's not great for the the future of content. Right. You know, it's not great for people to think of content as art, as yeah. meaningful stories yeah. that have something. As a creator, to do. someone who who makes videos and stuff, I like the idea of creating something, whether it's a YouTube video or a TikTok, and then having it just being forgotten and thrown out and replaced in 24 hours or something like that. I mean, it makes me not even want to create anything. I mean, honestly, that's why I don't do like Instagram stories. This is just me. Oh, I'm a whore for Instagram stories. My thing is like, (laughs) that stuff disappears and it's just like, I don't know, like I put effort into that and for it to just like literally be meaningless five seconds later, it just is (laughs) like... I don't like it. Man, I don't like it. All right. (laughs) Final question. Now, I don't know if you actually did this little homework assignment or not. Let's try and not get, because we could be here all day. But like top ten movies, did you oh did boy. you make a list? I I don't know if I have top ten, but I have my list of favorites. Yeah, for sure yeah. For you. So let's uh run down through them real quick. If you want to make a comment on any of them, like a, a why it's in there. Yeah, uh, I'll, and I'll I'm gonna make, be curious if there's any overlapping yeah, between you. Yeah, I and think I. there will be because there's some stuff that you know you just love. Yeah. Um, and I will 
probably go beyond ten. Like, <laughs> oh, that's fine. Uh, I just bef- can I before I go into can I just sure. make one more point? Sure, sure, sure. Because uh, I think this is something key that is happening. Like with streaming, people think about like, oh, how is this impacting the actual movies and TV shows themselves? And there's a lot of talk about Netflix being so algorithmically driven mm. that that decides what stuff they make yes. and what stuff. And a lot of creators don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the algorithm says it's popular and is good, you know, who are you to argue with the algorithm? Right. But I think you know, uh, something else we're we're not talking about as much is a lot of stuff is just getting stretched into series that Ugh. they do not have the material for. Oh, like um, Walking Dead? Yeah, and or even like, you <laughs> know... Grey's Anatomy? Inventing Anna. <laughs> like, Inventing Anna would have been a really interesting eight-hour miniseries. Yeah. It got stretched to 11. Yeah. Most Disney and Marvel... Most Marvel and Star Wars TV shows probably could be shortened by about three hours. Yeah. Bad Vegan, very entertaining docuseries on Netflix, four parts, already too... Uh, like, too long. They yeah. had enough for two. And I think people aren't realizing that that's not happening because these creators are like, oh, this story needs to be this yeah. long. I feel like the streaming economy wants hours in front of yes. screen. So instead of telling a good, tight two-hour story, they're being encouraged to drag things out as long as possible. Yes. So that's how you get loads shows. Loads of B-roll. Loads and- of B-roll <laughs> and loads of like shows that don't feel like they start until the third episode. Right. Which is a real epidemic. I mean, I Defending Jacob from a few years ago on Apple TV+, Plus, like the Defending Jacob part didn't start until like three or four episodes that's a in. Problem. It's hard to get into a show if you don't know what it is, and it's taken that long. I mean, a lot of the Marvel shows have that issue uh, back when they were on Netflix, but also, and a lot of it is just, they want the hours. Yeah. And why would you make a two-hour movie when you can make a seven-hour miniseries? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's good for the stories themselves in a no, lot of I cases. Don't, I agree. I don't, I don't think they are. The Social That's Network would point. not be a movie yes. if it came out now. It would be a six-part miniseries. Right. And it would be worse for it. Right. You know? And I, it, it's a bummer because I don't think you're getting... I, people love talking about, oh, it's the golden age of television. It's the golden age of streaming. I don't think that's true. Mm, I don't either. I don't know how many great things we're really getting here that use their time well, that use the episodic storyline well, mm. that couldn't have been a really good movie. Oh, for sure. And really honed in on points instead of just being this grab bag of episodes. But now, yeah. back to the favorite movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. I just feel like that's that's a pet peeve of mine. That no, I that's think. that's an gr- excellent point you, that you brought that up. Uh, and it was something I didn't even really think about. But, I mean, you're right. A lot of the stuff is just, they just drag it on and it could be cut in half. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, the economy inspires bloat right yeah. now. And... It's a shame because also everyone's like, oh, but the the good stories are on streaming, and it's like, well, that's because of us, the audience. Right. We stop. Everyone's like, oh, where? Wh- why don't the Oscars reward movies people actually see? Well, people used to see a lot more interesting movies back in the day. Sorry, we really <laughs> like did. people oh, used God, to, that's people turned you know rules of uh, not rules of engagement, uh, rules of endear uh, rules. I have terms of endearment. Yes. I was getting all my <laughs> three-word movie. We turned Terms of Endearment into one of the highest-grossing movies of that year. Two Men and a Baby was one of the highest-grossing oh, movies God, of that year. That like we used to see a much wider diversity of films in theaters mm-hmm. and make them hits. Mm-hmm. Not just see things in theaters, but be profitable. Yeah. There used to be stuff. Adults used to see adult-oriented movies in theaters, and we have conditioned audiences to be like, no, that's for TV. Oh, yeah. And I don't think we're getting 
better TV as a result. I think we're getting glossier TV. We're getting starrier TV. Mm. We're getting more expensive TV. Mm. But at the end, like, are a lot of these shows better than if they were, like, thoughtfully pared down into a two-hour movie? Or, uh, yeah. It's going to be inter- interesting to see where it all goes. I mean, the, 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 the Paramount Plus thing, where it's like, instead of making The Godfather, instead yeah. of making the next great movie. Or we the made next Star a, Trek movie. Yeah, we made an eight-part miniseries about the making of The Godfather. Right. Like, why not? <laughs> Just... <laughs> Like, I don't know. If that's not the snake eating its own tail, then it's, what is? It's a, it gets a little frustrating and infuriating. Favorite movies. I'm taking this off All right, off here topic. we go. Let's uh, find the final question. Yeah. My favorite movie of all time is High Fidelity. I love Ooh, that movie. Ooh, John Cusack. John Cusack, 2000. I mean, I'm a pop culture nerd. Yeah. And it's a movie about a pop culture nerd. Absolutely. It's one that I, I, I love even though, like, the older you grow up and the more times have evolved, the more you realize that the main character is a colossal asshole. Yeah. Um, but that's the point of the movie. The movie is a colossal asshole realizing... Am I allowed to say asshole? Oh, absolutely. We okay. swear. This is, this is okay, an explicit this is one. A, this, is a, this is a family... Not family friendly. This is a swear positive Oh, you podcast. bet. You bet. I pay extra for that. <laughs> cool. Good. Um, but you, you, know, you realize that John Cusack is a jerk more and more throughout the movie. And, and this is a movie about a guy who's trying not to be a jerk right. and trying to move forward and to become an adult. Uh, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Some of my favorite lines are from that movie. Uh, Children of Men is what I think is never, the best movie. Never seen it. Uh, it is Clive Owen, Michael Caine, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Ooh. It's from 2008. Good cast. If a, six or eight. A sci-fi, super sci-fi grounded movie directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, really, really kind of blew my mind when I saw it because it had these not revolutionary but these one takes that were just so immersive. And I remember being in the theater and just jaw dropped at what they were doing and how they brought me into that movie. If you haven't seen it, it's terrific stuff. I love that movie very, very much. Uh, Chinatown Ooh. is one of my favorite movies. I think that's it's an incredible film. Uh, Bull Durham is one Never of my favorite. What? No. What? I'll watch it for you. Do you like baseball? Do you it like for you. baseball? Um, no. All right. That's I hate it. Even ex- though I'm going to see the Brewers play in Boston. <laughs> uh, that explains why. Yeah, yeah it's a baseball movie. Not a baseball movie. fan. You know, Kevin Costner at his Kevin Costner finest every madness. Okay. Um, that is probably the most quoted movie. No, second most. Following the next movie on my favorites list, Airplane. Oh, God, that is a good one. Airplane's probably my favorite comedy of all time. Extremely quotable. Just goofy. The jokes per minute ratio in that movie is off the charts matched only by the jokes that hit per minute ratio yeah it is just i i miss the days when you know i just saw the last uh the lost city the Ooh. other day in theaters and i was disappointed because there's just not a lot of jokes in the movie there's just a lot of like kind of period where you're waiting for someone to say something funny and, and it's don't. just not really happening and I miss the days when movies were just like, we're going to throw as many jokes as possible on the screen. Um, I think we're, like the Lord and Miller movies do a really good job of just jokes upon jokes. Those are the guys who did 21 Jump Street, yes. the Lego movie, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Those are guys who have that old school madcap comedy sensibility that I miss. Uh, Edgar Wright has a little bit of that too. Uh, if you haven't seen Shaun of the Dead... World's End, just movies loaded with gags. I love those movies. Scott Pilgrim versus the World, great. Oh, movie. that's a good movie. Great movie. I'm trying to. So th- those are kind of like I, City Light. Uh, 
The City Lights and Modern Times are both great Charlie Chaplin silent films. If you, are n- if you are not a silent film fan... I love silent films. See? Well, actually, I don't yeah. love them. I, I really enjoy, I enjoy them. Yeah. Both of those are incredible and will make you realize, like, silent film ruled. This one, I don't know if it would have been in my top ten until I rewatched it lately. Singing in the Rain... Oh, it's just God, I forgot about a that movie. Red hot laser beam of joy. It is just a delightful film. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because it's like, oh, you're a movie guy. Of course you say <laughs> singing in the I rain. I wish the listeners could see you right now. Yeah. You're like doing the yeah. robot. Are you gonna say Citizen Kane and Casablanca <laughs> next? Like predictable. But uh no, Singing in the Rain is genuinely a joy of a film to watch. Yeah. Uh The Dark Knight. I saw that movie like eight times in a week. That's a great when I first film. Saw it. God, I think that's, that's, that's not on my list. Now I wish I could. I should have put it on it. Yeah, that's like pop cinema perfection for me. It really is. Um, I think that. Movie, I think that's my biggest beef with the Batman is just that the whole Batman Christopher Nolan trilogy is just it's such, in my opinion, just a, an IP ending story <laughs> visually. No such thing the music. as IP ending. Uh, I was like, they should just done. Done. I don't want to. The phrase IP ending does not exist <laughs> know, unless right? you're not talking in, about Men in Hollywood. Black International. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, 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 I love The Dark Knight. I, I really like that movie. Was a thrill to watch in theaters. It's. I always loved how Heath Ledger would change his. You want to know how I got these scars? And every time the story was different. And I just that, just those little brilliant nuances that uh, that he does when he writes these characters. I just yeah. I love it. It's an incredible performance. And I I I, re- I worked at a movie theater when that movie came out, which is why I was able to see it like yeah. eight times in the first week. And I remember I would try to time it out perfectly so I could see the pencil scene. Oh, I love it. Because, you want to see a magic trick? Because the crowd reaction was always so perfect. Yes. Like, every time it happened, you'd hear the crowd, and they'd be like, whoa! And it was just, like, the joy of movies. I it's felt the like joy of that everything collective that was you saw on screen with The Dark Knight had to be there. And it was there for a reason. Yeah. There was I know just a lot no- of people would, would take away the last third of the movie. There's there's a crowd of people who are like Two Face should have been in the next movie, and oh. I disagree. I think that's a key part of that movie is the the soul of Gotham kind I of agree. point. I agree. Um, I think I think that is a key part of the text of yeah, the Dark Knight. Uh, I love Goodfellas. Ooh, that's a good one. I will also say though, I think Wolf of Wall Street is like top five Scorsese, no doubt, and the fact that. Leonardo DiCaprio won his Oscar not for The Wolf of Wall Street, but pisses me off. I'll never forgive the Academy. Stupid Revenant, which is a which is a shittiest movie. It is a poor film. Fucking hate the Revenant. It is a bad film, and you know what? The Birdman was a bad film. It was a bad film, and that won. (sighs) No, Wolf of Wall Street is Wolf of Wall Street. That's on my list. I think a movie that's that entertaining, but also that. Actually, I can quote almost that whole movie. I won't because this podcast may only be PG thirteen. Yeah. We're trying to keep a PG thirteen rating, uh, but I I love that that movie's venom is as effective as it is entertaining. Yeah. Like that that movie is very good at going after you know that stock market world Ugh. and like the final shot in that movie is lethal in terms of being like you did this America right. this is on you right. and it does it in a way that's not like Vice. Mm. Or like uh, any of the Adam McKay stuff out now, yes. which I cannot tolerate. Really, I hate Adam McKay right now. Ugh. I think if we had a political talk, I'd agree with him on a lot of topics. <laughs> but as a screenwriter and director, he makes the most smug, self-important, just arrogant movies I've 
ever seen. And it's just, each one is just like, I don't know if you heard, but the environment's dying and it's all your fault, you so I'm gonna assume Did you, you know that it's I'm dying? I'm assuming you did not like his last movie. I, I, don't Look Up is somehow better than Vice. Okay. And that's I love Don't Look Up. I thought it was... I did not. Really? So. No, because the whole movie is just like this one note, non-funny thing. Yeah. It doesn't work as a comedy. And as a satire, it's just so blunt and so smugly proud of itself where it's just like oh you idiots you don't know what's happening to the world and it's sure. just like we do we are aware Adam McKay like get out of your bubble yeah, like, sure. we just also have other things to care about I realize you just figured that out now but it doesn't mean the rest of the right like I think a lot of his attitude I can see that I a can lot see of that. his attitude can be wrapped up by the end credit sequence in Vice mm-hmm. which was like you know this you know the whole thing the whole movie is like did you know dick cheney was kind of a bad person and everyone watching is like yeah yeah, yeah it was aware we knew that yeah and then like at the end it credits, took you 20 years to figure that out yeah and then his end credits are like him being like oh you didn't care about dick cheney at the time because you were too busy watching the fast and the furious <laughs> movies and i want to be like i'm gonna dr- motherfucker you made right? an anchorman too you right? know like don't right? you made uh, talladega nights like <laughs> i'm sorry you're coming at me for being like oh you didn't care enough at the time like we all were there right dude <laughs> like don't pretend like you're better than entertaining people i don't uh, uh. My ability to stomach Adam McKay projects. And he's just not a very good director at this point either. Yeah. I think Don't Look Up at a tight two hours would have been a good movie. But that movie goes on for approximately seven years. It was long. It wasn't as long as The Irishman, but it was long. I much prefer The Irishman. Irishman was good. Irishman is a good film. God, that's not even on my list. A lot of good movies. My list. I'm going to say movies, they're good. This is in no particular order. Whiplash. Whiplash is on my top ten. Is it? Yeah, I love Whiplash. I think my list is all (laughs) stuff that's story driven and then stuff that I, I have to be able to watch over in my opinion a good movie is something that I want to watch over and over again well so. that's I mean th- th- this is the the great like best versus favorite right, battle right. you know a best movie I, I feel like a best and a favorite should there should be a Venn diagram and oh, the overlap exactly. should be that like is Airplane the best movie of all time I don't know about best but it is my one of my for fa- you and I think as a comedy as what it's trying to do it mm-hmm. is Achieves per- that. It is peak perfection of what it is perfect. Yeah. Blazing Saddles, also in my top ten. I think I've named ten movies now. I feel good now. Okay. <laughs> uh, so here's my list. Ocean's Eleven, the new one. Oh, my God. That movie's so watchable. The oh new my. one. That, that, Every time I have company over and I'm like, I don't know what to put on. I don't want to put on music. I just put Ocean's Eleven on that the background. That movie was a real, like... Uh, pandemic watch movie where it's like that movie is lightning i just i love the relationship between brad pitt and george clooney and just their cadence when they when they talk i mean everyone in that that movie is i love it when you imagine and the the heist is believable that's what i think i love about it the most is it's it's believable and it's also they don't care that much about the details of the heist really like that movie is there to have fun and to put stars in a room being at their most charismatic selves saying funny things in a smartly directed movie when you think a Hollywood blockbuster that is the movie you imagine yes we just don't get those we just don't get those kind of movies Uh, another one Secret Life of Walter Mitty Uh, I'm a huge fan that's like maybe my top three and you haven't watched Severance yet no uh, this is this is definitely top three for me. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yeah. Mind. I'll never forgive the Academy for not giving Jim Carrey. Uh, they were never going to though. Like the Academy's. I thought Eternal Sunshine was like when I heard about that movie coming out. I was like, this is an original story, mm-hmm. and just the deliverance, Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey, the way that they delivered it. 
um, it was just so believable. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Was, I, I and that's it. a movie where you're seeing this with everything everywhere all at once, where it's a very quirky movie. Yeah. And that could very easily become intolerable for the audience. Yeah. That that's could very easily, like, the, 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 the balance needs to be just right. And that movie hits that. Oh, and it does. I, I think you'd really like that. I love, they get into so many of the, um, you know, destiny tropes of of like i mean they erase their minds and they still end up back with each other and like no matter what you do like the you know the ethos of the movie is you're meant to be with someone and i think that's what i love so much about it yeah and i think if you've seen any other of the writers movies uh charlie kaufman's movies he did uh i'm thinking of leaving yes uh and he did adaptation he did i love adaptation yeah adaptation is i think he needs a direct synecdoche new new york is another one by him where i think he needs a director to kind of level him out a little bit Mm. because he can get real he can get weird he can get like just cynical and sad to a degree that yes. you as a viewer get have a hard time getting through his and like, like bleary. I, I don't want to eat these chicken tenders anymore because this movie's really got me down. Yeah, and I think you you need someone a director in the case of Eternal Sunshine because that movie could be profoundly spre- depressing and profoundly just like soul punching. Right. This idea of like fate will always bring you together. Don't see it if you just broke up in a yeah, relationship. Yeah, and you need. <laughs> That his like you need Gondry's kind of levity yeah. to bring to that to hit the the heartbrokenness of that movie, but also to make it feel human. Because right. if you go too far on one tone or another tone, people check out. You, oh, you can't just be a bludgeoning of one tone. Yeah, I think they did a great job with the balance in that. Yeah, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, love oh. that movie. Big Lebowski. Yeah, Royal Tenenbaums. Oh uh, yeah, The Breakup. Because I Wild. feel I feel like the very breakup, divisive. Um, I feel like that is the most realistic fight scene between Jennifer Aniston and um, Vince Vaughn that I think I've ever seen. The way that they start off their argument and it just grows in, into something that had nothing yeah. to do with the original. I if it was such a relatable argument. I just I just love that movie yeah. and the fact that they don't get back together at the end. I think it's a brilliant. Yeah. Realistic story about. Like, I think yeah, that movie's fascinating I love it. because people really hated that movie because people wanted a rom com. Yeah, and that and movie it was, is, and it was not. It was not, and that movie's very aggressive. Like no, this it was movie's like a, about a breakup. It was like a <laughs> documentary about like yeah, what a breakup really looks like. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Marriage Story. I really like Marriage I, Story. I have yet to watch it. I'm kind of ner- I'm kind of I don't want to watch it with my wife. I'm like it's boy, I don't feel like this is a date. It's movie. it's more. Entertaining than I think. Like the the cut, it cuts deep, but uh-huh. it's 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 funnier and okay. more human than, than I one think. would think. Yeah, okay. there's a lot of movies that kind of get that rap. Like okay. I remember Manchester by the Sea mm. got that huge rap of like, oh, this movie's just a gigantic punch in the gut. No, yeah. my God, you're gonna cry so hard. And you know what? You will. Yeah, it's a sad movie, but it's also very funny because it's a movie that acknowledges that like when people are sad and when people are having to deal with death, they also want laugh. Yes. They want I know to I laugh. do. Yeah. So like, I, I think sometimes we get a little one note in how we talk about certain movies and stuff and it's like, oh, that movie is so intensely one. Like the dark Knight and Christopher Nolan get that rap where the like, Christopher Nolan has no sense of humor. His movies are grim, dark. Has blah, he ever blah. told a joke in any of his movies? <laughs> he does. The dark Knight is a funny movie. And that actually is. Cases. Like that, you Tenet, know, you there are, are right. jokes in town. You like, could probably make a reel of all the funny stuff in it. Yeah. But like people it off as a comedy. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you watch it to be like a laugh riot. It's uh, not airplane, but, but the Joker but, is funny. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
there he does find ways to like flit a little lightness in there so yeah. it doesn't feel like a dredge you know right, it doesn't right, feel right. like a Zack Snyder movie where I'm just oh, like I'm Jesus, dying of the brick hitting here's a director that I absolutely love and this makes my list District 9 District 9 oh my god absolutely Man, remarkable I miss, I miss Neil Blomkamp the next one's coming out they say that He's, he says he's got the story finally. I know, but like uh, he's been supposedly making a RoboCop movie forever. Yeah, and he's is, been supposedly been making an Alien movie forever. Right. Listen, uh, Ch- Chappie lost so much goodwill uh, for I that love, man. I love Chappie. Chappie's a, a lot of choices in Chappie. Right. Uh, Fight Club. That's a top five for me. Ooh, interesting. Are you a big Fincher fan? Yes, in general. Huge. I'm interested that you didn't like the the Batman then. Because the, the Batman is so Fincher. God, I don't feel. Like, that whole opening, like, everything with the Riddler is very seven Yeah. when I watch that movie. I didn't realize till about an hour, I'm only an hour and a half into the Batman, that the Riddler and the Penguin are even in the movie. Yeah, it's... I didn't know anything about it, and I'm like, so who are the villains? Don't spoil anything. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it was, it was uh, uh, Umbrella Man the whole time. <laughs> uh, every Star Wars. Gangs okay. in New York. Oh, that's an interesting Inception, one. and then Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. Those are, those, I think those. That, that's my list. That's a lot of winners on there. Uh, dude, Matt, this I've, was fun. I've this gone is over, a, right? This is, <laughs> a, this is the longest episode by far. Oh, but no! This is, but this is why I wanted to bring you on, because I, I love movies. I love TV. And, like, you, you are, like, as soon as... Uh, Carolyn, who I'm friends with, that, that you work with it on Walkie. She's like, why don't you have? Because I put a post on Facebook. Anybody like movies that like can get? Because you got to be able to like know directors and, and, and you know that kind of stuff. And I was like, I want someone that like at least knows as much as me. And when she said you, I was like, God damn it, that's right. Why did I not even think to ask him? So I, think, I really yeah. appreciate you being oh, of on. Of course, I think this era is just. And I know I've been all over the place this episode. Yeah. And I, it's just because this era. Of entertainment, of media, of movies is so fascinating. It really is. Because it it is depressing in a lot of cases Mm -hmm. because you're seeing a lot of trends that you don't love. But you also see like this could tip in any direction. We are watching a crackling glass right now. It could go crash and burn or we could be getting yeah just and some great content great stories and yeah and the, the good stuff out there is so worth it you know it when you see something that really you know captures you there's a real dichotomy between it's the stuff's either really good or it's really <laughs> shitty and there's not a whole lot of stuff that kind of meet in the in the I, middle i would argue we we have so much in the middle. I would argue yeah, that's true. 80% of what you see <laughs> is okay. Right. Like everything you see is pretty like mediocre to fine. Right. And 10% is great. Yeah. And 10% is terrible. And you know what? I want more I want more great yes. and I want more terrible cuz you know what? Terrible means you took a swing. That is valid. That is valid. Matt, where can people find you? You can find me at a man about film on Twitter and Facebook. You can also find my writing on on Milwaukee.com. Dude, thank you so much. Hey, buddy. thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah. I'm losing my voice. 